What's up everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Da Vinci Cases. Alright, so the way this works is we've got a clinical case followed by a board style question. So we're going to go through the question stem, point out the relevant clinical findings, take a look at the question and the answer choices, and then kind of divert for a minute and go through the relevant concepts to answering the question. Then we'll come back and apply those concepts that we went over to answering the question. Hey everyone, my name is Sydney Weir and I'm a medical student at UAB Hearsing School of Medicine. I'm going to be applying into dermatology this year, so I'm looking forward to going through these dermatology cases and hopefully learning with you all. So let's go ahead and jump into case three. So here we have a six-month-old male who was brought to clinic for excessive fussiness. His parents noticed the increased fussiness over the past two weeks despite the child having a good appetite and appropriate voiding. They also noted a rash on the child's chest, face, and legs, which seemed to be itchy and interfere with sleep. The rash didn't get better with regular bathing and lotion, and we can see an image of the rash below. The child has not had any recent illnesses or sick contacts. The father has a history of childhood asthma that has resolved, um, and the child is in the 60th percentile for height and weight. Vital signs are as follows, which are normal, height rate, heart rate 100, respirations 24, and temp of 98. What type of hypersensitivity reaction best describes this condition? So before addressing the hypersensitivity reaction part of this question, let's go ahead and work through what this child actually has. So here I have highlighted the key findings in this vignette. So we've got a six-month-old male. So we've got the age kind of pointing us towards, you know, something that's affecting infants. And then the location of the rash, rash which is really important. So chest, face, and legs. So pretty broad. Um, and then we've got an itch associated with the rash. However, the child has normal vital signs and no recent fever or preceding infection. So that sort of points us away from something like a viral exanthem because, you know, usually with a viral exanthem, you'd have something like a fever or maybe a sick contact, which they gave us that the child did not have. So right now, because we have a six month old male, very young, um, we've got a rash affecting the chest, face, and legs that's itchy with normal vital signs. High on differential right now is atopic derm, psoriasis, and impetigo. However, with this age group, psoriasis is less likely, um, but we'll go ahead and break down each of these in a, in a little bit. Another thing that helps us here is actually the findings on the picture. So let's go ahead and go back. So you can see here on the baby's face, we've got erythematous plaques on the cheeks. Um, we've got some effect, some erythematous plaques um, in the eyebrow region as well, and also on the side of the face. And you can see extending down into the trunk region. And then on the forehead, we see this scattered excoriations, which is really characteristic of, you know, just a very itchy baby. So these are classic findings that we'll see in atopic derm affecting an infant. All of these demographic, demographics, including the, the picture, really point us towards atopic derm rather than these other um, conditions. I also wanted to point out that they give us the father has a history of childhood asthma, which has resolved. So there's this thing called the atopic triad that's highly associated with atopic dermatitis. Um, so 
the atopic triad is composed of allergic rhinitis, childhood asthma, or you know, adult asthma, and then atopic derm. So if you ever see those three things in the patient or in the patient's immediate family, it makes things like atopic derm um, very likely. So that's kind of a hint for us, uh, further support that this is atopic derm. So let's break this down a little bit further. So atopic dermatitis is a chronic inflammatory skin condition, um, can happen at any age, but typically it'll present in young, in, in infants perhaps, and it usually resolves in about 70% of kids. Um, if it persists into childhood and adulthood, you've got that chronic form of atopic derm that's usually um, more isolated to flexural areas, which is sort of areas on the insides of the arms or the backs of the legs. And so here I've got a description of the lesions that will kind of help you read a vignette and make a decision on whether you think this is atopic derm versus psoriasis, which can present a little bit similar or affect similar areas. So in these first two pictures, we've got hyperpigmented um, patches and plaques on the elbows and knees. So they're not in that classic flexural areas as we discussed. However, um, they still have that classic appearance. We've got hyperpigmentation. We've got some excoriations here, as you can see in these areas. And then actually in these pictures, you can really see in that chronic form, how itching can lead to a leathery appearance of the skin and they call that lichenification. So that's really what you're seeing in these first two pictures here. And then in our main picture of the baby that we saw in our question stem, you can see again, those erythematous plaques with overlying scale. So, okay, so that sort of sums up atopic derm. Moving on to psoriasis. So you can see overlap on, on between psoriasis and atopic derm of the areas that they affect. However, psoriasis is more of an autoimmune condition that can be chronic, um, or that is chronic, excuse me, um, that typically affects the extensor surfaces of the body, including like the elbows, the knees, and they typically present as well-circumscribed pink papules or plaques with overlying silvery scale. So you can see in these first two pictures here, you really get that classic sort of pink plaque appearance. However, you can see that skin tone can affect the appearance of the plaque. And so here in darker skin tone, you actually see it looks more hyperpigmented rather than pink. However, we still do see that overlying silvery scale. I wanted to include here nail pitting because that's an important clinical finding in psoriasis and they love to test on that. So um, just keep in mind that that's you know, classically associated with psoriasis. And then I also included here a classic clinical sign of psoriasis. So it's called the offsplit sign. What that means is that if the clinician peels back one of these scales, you can see little pinpoint um, hemorrhages or like pinpoint bleeding underneath the scale. And that's uh, classically associated with psoriasis. And so the other two things on our differential were impetigo or viral exanthems. So impetigo is basically a super infection of skin of an area of breakdown. And it's usually caused by staph aureus predominantly or streptiogenes. And there's two main types. There's bullous and non-bullous impetigo. So bullous impetigo 
you know, just like it, it's named, it presents with um, bulla and has, usually has associated yellow crusting. So here's a good example of bullus and patigo. You can see that the bulla actually ruptured, but you have that classic yellow or honey colored crusting associated with the lesions. And then in non-bullus, you'll typically see red macules or papules, maybe vesicles surrounded by erythema, um, and then you'll see that honey-crusted uh, pustules. Um, so there can be overlap. Like this one probably isn't truly just bullous because it kind of has features of non-bullous as well, like in here and here. However, you, see, you still see that honey-colored crust. It's classic. And then we have viral exanthems. So viral exanthem basically is just a rash that's related to a viral infection. Um, I'm sure you all know you can see these sort of rashes associated with measles, scarlet fever, this disease, chicken pox. Um, essentially, the question stem would sort of either give you a recent illness or current fever, something to point you towards an infection related to the rash. And typically, this is how it'll look, sort of a mobiliform eruption on either the face, the trunk, the arms. So the rash isn't what's gonna help you differentiate between any of these infections. It'll be more so the, the symptoms. So going back to the main question of what's the hypersensitivity reaction um, related to atopic dermatitis, let's go ahead and review um, the four types of reactions. And we're gonna start off actually with type four. So the type four hypersensitivity reaction, as you can recall, involves T cells. So it works by direct cell cytotoxicity. Basically the CD8 positive cytotoxic T cells will kill targeted cells. And that'll and lead to an inflammatory reaction where you'll have effector CD4 positive T cells recognizing antigen and releasing inflammation induced cytokines. However, you can see that these are the releasing um, inflammatory cytokines here. And typically you'll see type four reactions in a PPD for a TB infection or maybe a patch test for contact dermatitis, a helpful mnemonic to help, to help you remember what's involved with type four reactions is the four T's. T cells, transplant rejections, TB skin tests, and touching, and the touchings for contact dermatitis. And then another good thing to remember is that four is the last type and it's delayed. I don't know if, if that'll help you remember it, but that's kind of how I've used it for tests. Is, so four is last. And so this type of reaction is delayed. You'll typically see it maybe eight hours after the offense happens. So moving to type three, um, so type three hypersensitivity reactions involve an immune complex. So typically you'll have an antibody antigen complex that will act activate complement. And this in turn goes down and attracts neutrophils that can release lysosomal enzymes. And it can be associated with a vasculitis or, syst or systemic manifestations. And so you can see this type of reaction with lupus, so SLE, or polyarteritis nodosa, or you can actually see it with post-strep glomerulonephritis. 
And then another two things that they like to test on related to type three is actually serum sickness or the Arthus reaction, excuse me, it's a mouthful there. Um, but I think it's a good idea for y'all to just go ahead and review those two because they do like to test on those. So then moving to type two, so type two hypersensitivity reaction involves antibodies binding to cell surface of antigens and resulting in cellular destruction, inflammation, and cellular dysfunction. Um, so you can have cellular destruction caused by cell, the cell being opsonized by antibodies, and then you get inflammation, which is mediated by the binding of antibodies to cell surfaces, as shown here, which can activate the complement system. And a good example of a type two hypersensitivity reaction is actually the direct Coombs test. So high yield to know type two is antibody mediated and direct Coombs is an example. All right, so as you may have guessed, so type one is actually what type of reaction atopic derm is. So type one hypersensitivity reactions um, have two phases. There's an immediate and a late phase. So in the immediate phase, you have antigen crosslinks preformed IgE on presensitized mast cells. And this leads to immediate degranulation and release of histamine, as you can see here. And then the late reaction, which actually happens hours after um, the initial sensitization, uh, you get chemokines and other mediators like leukotrienes being released from the mast cells, leading to inflammation and tissue damage. So the two reactions that you should know that are type 1 hypersensitivities are anaphylaxis and then atopic dermatitis. So I know that was a lot of information. I know immunology is not fun always to go over, but definitely make sure that you all know that these four reactions really well because they love to tie these in. All right, so going back to our question, I think we've, we've come to a consensus that this is atopic dermatitis and it's a type one hypersensitivity reaction. So we know it's not type 2 because type 2 is antibody mediated. And an example of that is the direct Coombs test. Um, some other things I didn't mention were rheumatic fever, hyperacute transplant rejection, good pasture syndrome. Again, nothing in this question stem here makes us think of those types of diagnoses. Type 3 reactions, as you recall, are lupus, polyarteritis nodosa, serum sickness, or that Arthus reaction. Again, nothing in this vignette would lead us to consider that type of hypersensitivity. And last, type four, that's our four T's, which is T-cell, transplant rejections, TB skin tests, and touching for contact dermatitis. All right, so I hope this was really helpful. Again, here's all my contact information. If y'all have any questions, feel free to get in contact with me via my Twitter or Instagram. Um, and I just want to make a quick plug. The pictures that I have included in this, in this presentation, like the child and some of the other ones, are actually obtained from the UAB Digital Dermatology Atlas, which is a free um, resource for students or physicians in training to have access to common skin conditions across diverse skin types. 
So please check that out um, for more information. Thank you so much for your attention and I'll see you in the next case. All right, that's all I have for you this time. Be sure to check out all the Da Vinci Cases videos available on our YouTube channel and our website, dviacademy.com. The PDF notes for every Da Vinci Cases is also available on our website. Also be sure to check out our podcast, The Da Vinci Hour, where we interview attendings and residents across medicine to learn more about their experiences, their specialties, and to get their insights on navigating a career in medicine. You can find the Da Vinci Hour podcast on our website or any platform where podcasts are found. Lastly, you can find all of our video courses and corresponding outline format books on our website. Don't forget to use the discount code DC20 for 20% off.